Listen in Fridays to the new feature Times Like This on Aro City Radio in partnership with Luxembourg Times. So, Yannick, a lot to talk about. We'll start with the economy. And uh, we mentioned how inflation was on the rise a little bit, but it seems to have risen quite sharply in Luxembourg. Yeah, it has risen quite sharply compared to um, the, um, December last year um, from 0.6 to 1.9, um, mostly driven by higher petrol and food prices. And it's generally also a sign that, you know, the consumer sentiment is, is picking up and that people are spending more money again. But uh, it also reflects global trends in, in rising food prices. And uh, I think another important factor as well is that Luxembourg introduces CO2 tax on 1st of January, uh, which means that um, all petrol products um, are, are getting more expensive now because of that tax. And um, and Statec, also the, the national statistics body, expects um, Luxembourg inflation to, to stay at that high level for, for maybe a year or two. So um, I think we are returning to a more normal um, inflation pattern again. Because there, there had been a story earlier in the year, I remember, about, or, or late last year, about how there was a, a freeze on, on wage indexing. Yeah. Um, is, is that going to change now with this rise in inflation? Yeah, um, it's likely going to change. So Statag expects that to happen in, um, in, in, in a year's time, roughly. Uh, we don't know exactly when yet, but uh, if, if inflation hits a certain um, point and they have like um, you know methodology to calculate it, then wages will be adjusted to the inflation rate in order to make sure that um, you know people can keep up with with their with their spending. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Luxembourg and is the only country in the world to have that, um, besides Belgium. Uh, an interesting story. So cybercrime jumps along with remote working. So I guess yeah, a lot of people are working from home and doing online shopping as well. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, so Police Luxembourg uh, told my colleague Emery that um, the uh, reported cybercrimes, they've um, basically doubled. Up to 800 uh, crimes were reported in the last year alone. And uh, this also is reflected in more companies saying they were exposed, exposed to like phishing scams and you know people trying to get into like sensitive data and um, that is partly due um, as, as elsewhere in the world as well to the increased rate of home working where um, you know people are using their home networks which might not be as secure or wh- which they share with a lot of other people that might more easily fall prey to to such attempts so um, yeah we can clearly see that like the switch to remote working does um, have um, perhaps disadvantages on that front or that our way of um, you know dealing with um, internet security needs to change a bit as well we, we've spoken a little bit about how the economy seems to be bouncing back a bit mm-hmm. but uh, there was a headline there that some Luxembourg companies are the living dead and I suppose this is just the unborrowed time perhaps surviving with the yeah. with the government aid rather than actually on their own yeah, so again, my, my colleague Emery, he spoke to a um, consultancy um, which deals with um, debt and com- company credit. That consultancy was saying that uh, around 10% of Luxembourgish businesses are perhaps not viable anymore. They're so-called zombie companies, the living debt, really, because they are on life support, um, which is due to um, a variety of measures, such as uh, the, in- the interest rates that we currently have, but also like the quite generous support programs. And... Uh, once these support programs that you know are helping companies to get through the pandemic and through the economic crisis caused by the pandemic, once these support programs cease to to exist, then these companies might 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 go bust. And I think that's a problem not just in Luxembourg but across Europe because all of the European con- uh, countries have adopted similar measures to you know keep the companies on life support. And um, you know there's a different approach, which is perhaps the, the more American approach, is to um, you know, let companies go bust and, and innovate in, 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 in a variety of ways and to adapt to the new circumstances. 
Uh, but it's not all bad news. Uh, factories and manufacturing doing well. Yeah. So Luxembourg's industry, which you know, despite our outsized financial center, is still quite substantial compared to to other countries that have deindustrialized, de um, did quite well over the last year despite the pandemic. So overall, um, the um, you know in the industrial production grew by I think around 2.6 percent which is um, quite significant um, and is, is a lot better than the vast majority of European countries. There's one Baltic state that did well. I think Portugal did well recently. But yeah, overall, um, you know, there, there is some, there's some hope that, you know, Luxembourg's industry would, would recover and, um, and that our, the export-oriented parts of our economy are doing well despite the pandemic and are finding, you know, new markets to, to sell their products to. Uh, now, earlier in the week, we had Clara Moraru in, who she was talking about uh, a petition that was launched in order to get more support for freelancers and independent workers. And I, I see that uh, subsidies for the self-employed have been set aside for now. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. So uh, Labour Minister Dan Cash and um, the Minister for the um, Medium and um, you know Small Size Enterprises, Lex Dallas, uh, they had been working on legislation which would give some sort of um, guaranteed basic income to to independents, so they could get through the crisis. Um, that has now been um, ditched um, because they said that, oh well, we just announced, you know, um, more economic support because we're extending the the restrictions, and you know, independents can also claim that, but it isn't as secure. And according to uh, you know the self-employed, um, it, it can be quite arbitrary. So they want to have some like. A legal guarantee that if, if if this happens again or if this crisis keeps um, you know being protracted, to have guaranteed sort of income, and um, it, it's quite interesting because it's politically also also sensitive. And Labour Minister Dan Cash, just when the um, pandemic, you know, ha- when the first lockdown happened, he um, made some comments that were quite um, offensive to them because he was saying that uh, because the self-employed people they all make a lot of money already. Um, and uh, which was criticized by them because a lot of them they just earn above minimum wage or might not be as financially um, you know comfortable as as he implied so there's a, a certain perhaps disconnect between you know the political reality and, and what is happening on the ground sure so is is it their view that they're they're not quite taking into account the you know your, your jobbing I mean journalists a lot of us are self-employed yeah. and uh, and Instructors yeah. and, and yeah. teachers and coaches and things like that. Or, yeah. yeah, okay, interesting. Yeah. Uh, so where, where does that stand then? Because I, I've heard that because of the, the nature of the coalition and who's in charge of what, that that's what is holding things up. Is that right? I think that's correct. I'm, I'm not fully in the know uh, as far as this is concerned, but um, some people, such as Dan Cash, they come from like a, a socialist background and to them maybe this self-employment is, is from their perspective, not, not how the economy should work. You should have like strong companies with strong labor unions and that kind of stuff. So maybe there's this, this sense of autonomy and individual expression that doesn't quite fit into the worldview, whereas and other parties might have different views on that. Interesting. Uh, let's talk about uh, well, uh, royal news now. Uh, and this uh, the, the story of the Grand Ducal Court is one that has popped up uh, a couple of times. And the Grand Duke gave uh, an interview recently criticising uh, the government's moves um, to, to improve things there. So, yeah, that was um, quite an interesting development in, in the context of, you know, the recent events that happened around the Grand Ducal Court, the controversy reforms that are now being carried out on the monarchy to, to make it more modern, to like really lift it into the 21st century is that the, yeah, the Grand Duke gave an interview to um, uh, the journalist Stéphane Bern of, of Paris, Paris Match 
and uh, he was essentially complaining that his wife, given recent reforms being undertaken by the government in the court, was being erased and that criticisms of her were misogynist. And as we know, um, just um, roughly a year ago, a report came out that was saying that um, there was a culture of fear at the Grand Ducal Court and that there was um, you know, a lot of stuff, mismanagement going on, financial mismanagement. Uh, so the government got involved and you know, they also appointed a court martial, Yuriko Baka, as a seasoned career diplomat um, to take care of that. And um, the interesting development now is that Yuriko Bakas, who's in charge of, you know, overseeing the reforms and reporting back to the government, uh, went out of her way and talked to RTL about what was happening and, and saying that, oh, I didn't authorize this interview because the Grand Duke as such isn't um, allowed to discuss state matters and give his per personal opinion on it. Mm -hmm. And um, it is interesting and it caused quite a few, I think, strong reactions from people that uh, are more Republican in their orientation and, and, and also from people that are pro-monarchy because it really seems that, um, and this was something Alex Baudry, um, former MP and member of the State Council and you know one of the constitutional masterminds of Luxembourg was saying as well, the, it's not that anyone is trying to overthrow the monarchy, but it's kind of just destabilizing and destroying itself in the process by becoming, by being so disconnected from the political reality and by taking all these liberties, these unilateral liberties that um, you know, un undermine uh, the institution. And what's the sort of view generally in Luxembourg, among Luxembourgers, on this story and on uh, the Grand Duke's sort of intervention here? I think a, a lot of Luxembourgers, they perhaps don't even mind that much because for them the monarchy is something that is quite aloof and disconnected anyway. Mm -hmm. Those that are more politically interested, they will see this, um, I think, very critically. But then, of course, you have um, also a segment um, that is, I would say, is quite sizable, that is more perhaps uh, conservative or, or nationalist um, in, or traditionalist in their, in their orientation and who would defend the monarch to be able to say sort of things and that mm -hmm. the, 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 the monarch should have freedom of expression. This is something that was, for instance, um, endorsed by... Uh, you know, um, ADR lawmaker Roy Reding on Twitter, he supported what the what the Grand Duke was saying. And in, in our comment section as well, below the article on Facebook, you have people um, you know, being supportive of the Grand Duke on that. And, and I think that does exist as well. And I would say it's perhaps 10, 15 percent of the Lux, of the Luxembourg okay. nationals. But uh, I mean, I don't have the exact numbers on this. It's but it's a, a guess, sizable wage. It's yeah. a sizable. Yeah. Okay. But I think most people, they don't really care all that much, like, <laughs> especially in my generation. Like most people, they just... Um, see the, the monarchy as a bit of, um, you know, an, 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 a not um, institution anyway, and they don't really spend much time thinking about it. Fair enough. Well, yeah. we'll move on ourselves then. <laughs> uh, we've spoken a bit, actually, in the last couple of weeks about um, foreign and illegal or criminal money um, passing through Luxembourg, and there's a headline that caught my eye, which is the Italian Mafia's connection to Diffredange. What's this about? Yeah, so, um, yeah, there's been um, reports in, um, you know, the media... Uh, across Europe and in Luxembourg as well on, you know, hidden wealth in, in Luxembourg through holding companies and um, um, the, the implication is as well that some of that money is, isn't quite, you know, kosher and is coming from like criminal organizations, including uh, the Italian mafia Indrangheta from Calabria. And um, apparently one of their main men had a, ran a cafe in Differdange. And uh, w he was arrested there in 2019 as well. Um, so 
it's quite interesting um, to have these, you know, connections. You have a small town in, in, the, in the south of Luxembourg, um, you know, marked by the steel industry and everything, and you have one of the big crime bosses of, of, a, of, a, of a mafia ring there that, that runs the European cocaine business. So, um, although, it, you know, of course, uh, this um, alleged mafia boss, um, Santorumbo, isn't hasn't been convicted yet but he's been I think he's in Italy now under arrest so he's been delivered to Italian authorities and they're trying to find out more about you know what what his activities were and yeah no it's, it's quite interesting because um, actually a friend of mine just lived across the cafe where he worked and was arrested so you know it's it's um, quite fascinating to to see that you know these these big crime stories in the world they have some connection to Luxembourg mm-hmm. and uh, I'm sure it's not the, the last one that we will hear of. Uh, let's jump very quickly into back into politics and legislation yeah. specifically. So, uh, the, a lot of new laws and new legislation is being yeah. pushed through to deal with and work with COVID, and some stuff, yeah. I guess, being pushed through while nobody can kind of, you know, so people aren't paying attention to it. Yeah. Um, this COVID law would let government keep data longer. Tell us a, a little bit about that, and is that specifically now just during COVID, or is it a longer term thing? Um, well, it's 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 kind of a longer term thing. First of all, well, we don't know when COVID is actually going to end, but sure. <laughs> but um, um, it's, uh, it's so the government in its initial draft of, of the legislation wanted to keep um, data on, for instance, negative tests and contact tracing for up to three and a half years, um, during which it would be at some point anonymized. I think after six months, it would start the process of pseudonymizing it and then anonymizing it. Um, and this has um, caused some criticism from uh, consultative bodies of parliament, such as the, um, you know, the Human Rights Commission and the Data Protection Commission, who is saying that, oh, this isn't, this isn't quite, you know, justified or, or the legal text isn't, isn't clear. And, you know, the way you are describing the retention, the data retention, it could perhaps fall into the wrong hands of, you know, civil servants that shouldn't see it or even private companies. And uh, so they've urged the government to come up with... Um, you know, a, a better a better draft, and um, my, my my colleague spoke to the um, health ministry yesterday as well, and they said that while one of the um, um, well, the, the legal tax is now being um, in, improved, and uh, there were there were some like material mistake errors in there that that could be amended. So we'll we'll see we'll see how that goes. But it's quite interesting that the government is is willing to keep uh, data. Um, fully for six months, and there's also, for instance, concerns that you know because you need a, a, a negative test to enter Luxembourg via the Findel Airport. Uh, there are concerns that you know airlines would get access to it and mm-hmm. could use it for perhaps different commercial purposes. You know, these are the concerns that some of those uh, privacy activists does it uh, sort have. of clash with GDPR or anything like that? Is it? A- um, I think I think that is a concern as well. Um, so there are provisions um, I think in, in GDPR um, legislation as to you know, in certain cer- certain circumstances, you can justify keeping data if it's a, an emergency, such as a pandemic. But still, um, there are there are potential breaches, especially if, for instance, an airline would get access to it and use it for different purposes, or if the data isn't stored safely or isn't um, anonymized in, in the correct manner. So yes, that needs to be taken into account. There are a few other interesting legis- legislative stories, um, but we're just going to jump. On to COVID nineteen for a second because yep. there's there's a lot to talk about in there. Yep. Um, numbers uh, stabilizing, I guess, a little bit, but at the elderly in care homes uh, continue to die at a higher rate from the virus. Yeah, so that is a, a really interesting story that we broke at the beginning of the week, um, which is saying that um, Luxembourg now has 
just above, I think, 600 deaths, which is one in one in a thousand residents essentially died because of the pandemic, which, which is quite a lot, still lower than many of the neighboring countries. And half of those uh, that passed away, sadly, um, are living, you know, in, in care homes for like elderly, disabled, ill people. And, um, um, and, and that keeps happening. So that was the case in June already. Uh, when when my colleague also broke a story saying that uh, I think it's 52% of all deaths can be attributed to care homes. And now the rate is 48, which means that some of the preventive measures that have been supposedly taken aren't quite working or nothing has fundamentally changed. And um, it applies to January as well. There was a major outbreak in, in, in a care home as well, I think in Luxembourg City. And, um, you know, some, some people that are willing to protect them are saying, yeah, we should we should really have better preventive measures in place and really reduce in-person visits, you know. There's others, of course, who say that in-person visits are important as, as well for elderly people, otherwise they will feel even more isolated. So it's, re- it's really tricky, but yeah, it does seem to be the case that the, the you know, the average um, age of, of, of death is, 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 is quite high. I think it's 81 at the moment, and that um, these uh, care homes are disproportionately targeted by, by the virus. Um, so, so- What's the state of things then? Because um, experts are saying that the virus is actually outpacing uh, us and, and the work that they mm. can do to prevent it. Are, mm. are things getting better or are they, are, are they getting worse? Yeah. So, um, yeah, this is uh, this, this quote that he, the virus is outpacing us came from a uh, scientist at the Luxembourg Institute of Health who was saying that because our vaccination campaign is, is quite slow, um, we are in, in Europe and in Luxembourg too, we are struggling to keep the virus in check. And if we don't do that, then there is the chance that the um, virus mutates in a manner that becomes more resistant to vaccines, which we've already seen in the world, in, in Brazil and South Africa, in the UK as well. And, um, you know, these new types are, are spreading already. And that could kind of ruin the work of, you know, those um, biotech firms and uh, pharmaceutical firms that have developed highly effective vaccines so that is that is really risk um luckily the vaccination community seems to be you know picking up a bit of speed at the moment so um yeah we'll have to see have to see how that goes well on the vaccine then mm. there's, there's a couple of things mm. uh, one is that they they've decided to lengthen the gap between the two astrazeneca jabs yeah. is that i mean you know when you when you start talking about the virus outpacing us and, and death rates going up in care homes and things like that is that a good thing? Is it because I, I've heard that the first jab pretty much does the job, and then the second one doesn't yeah. guarantees it? Um, so is is that a case of just using more for the first one, or or what is it? Well, yeah, I think it's I think it's a good thing overall. It's it's a case of uh, perhaps using more initially and having and having more space, more time in between uh, until further deliveries arrive to to administer the second dose. And, um, you know, Luxembourg is here following the UK's example, which um, increased the interval to 12 weeks from four. And um, researchers at the University of Oxford found that a first dose is um, 76% effective, and uh, which is quite good for a vaccine generally. Mm-hmm. So and to reach like the 90% um, effectiveness, you, you, would need a, um, you would need a second dose at some point. But, I mean, regular but, vaccines, if once they're over 50, are, are pretty yeah, normally. Yeah, right, so. yeah. And, and to reach herd immunity, you know, the, the, the famed term that Boris Johnson likes <laughs> to use um, repeatedly, um, you need, I think, around with COVID, around 70% of immunity in the population. So if everyone got one jab of the AstraZeneca vaccine, that, that, that would essentially do and um yeah no it's interesting to see that you know luxembourg is perhaps taking uh, a, a less um 
a regulatorily conservative approach and is being a bit more experimental as well as others. But there's science backing it up at this point, so I think I think it's a good thing. Yeah. And the uh, and the amount of vaccines then are going to increase. They've announced yeah. plans that they're going to vaccinate over seventy thousand people by the end of March, which seems like a, a huge jump from where we are now. Yeah. Yeah, it does seem like a like a really huge jump compared to uh, the numbers we had um, at the end of December and the beginning of January, where um, they were saying that well by the end of March we will only be able to vaccinate around thirty six thousand people um, in in Luxembourg, and that includes of course not just residents but perhaps most importantly also cross border workers in the healthcare sector, and that is quite a low number. It's less than six percent of the population, and now it's gone up to to over ten percent. Um, and um, this is uh, mostly due to increased deliveries and also to the AstraZeneca vaccine having been improved for the European market and uh, a clear schedule that has now been communicated about deliveries uh, that are to be expected. Of course, the health ministry is saying that we need to be cautious because, you know, these deliveries and these dates, they are somewhat subject to change. Uh, but recent data seems to be pointing to an, an uptick in speed in Luxembourg as far as vaccination is concerned, which we can only welcome. And uh, hopefully this is uh, something that is replicated across Europe. And uh, we'll, because Luxembourg as a small country is, of course, very much exposed to its neighbours um, and to the cross-border traffic and everything. So, yeah. So really, we'll no, be done with that soon. Certainly, one to keep uh, to keep an eye on, and mm. uh, I'm sure that will develop as we go forward. A couple of stories we didn't get time to do, which mm. was uh, about the state council rebuking yep. Claude Maish over uh, childcare closures, and then another one about uh, Luxembourg seeking to take politics out of the judicial system. You'll be able yep. to find more on those stories at mm-hmm. uh, luxtimes.lu. Are there any other stories that you'd like to point people towards, or perhaps that you're working on in the coming week? Um, I would have to think very hard right now because I think I think I've spoken about like the most important topics now this week. So uh, yeah, maybe, maybe next week I'll be able to update you. On all that right, well, keep an eye on luxtimes.lu. You'll get all the uh, all the stories as they happen and as they as they develop. Uh, Jan, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Much appreciated. Right, time for the almost time for the international news. Oh, 